Now, if there was anyone who embodied the hedonistic lifestyle that characterized the Western world, it was Madonna, the self-proclaimed material girl who was living in a material world. And judging by her appearance nine days ago on the Jimmy Fallon show, she was still up to her old tricks. You may have uh, seen it certainly made the headlines for out her outrageous behavior. Yet just a few years ago, she was interviewed by the New York Post and made the following comment. Money is like everything. Money is like sex. It's like food. They're blessings that we get, but they're not what's going to make us happy. They're not real. They don't last. There's only one thing that lasts, and that's your soul. And if you don't work on that, and you don't pay attention to that, then all the money in the world is not going to help you. Now, we were noticing last week, this is just a, a little three-part series that we're doing. This is number two out of the three. We began last week, and we were noticing that we are all, we're treasure hunters. We are wired in such a way that we're always on the lookout for those things or those people that we value above everything else, just as a, a compass directs itself to magnetic north. So in our hearts, where our treasure is, where we have said that's what we're aiming for, then everything will be directed towards it. And we paid attention to the warning from Jesus when Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, if you say, that's what I want, that's my treasure, then it's actually going to affect the whole of your personality, the whole of your being. And I was asking last week, what is it that shapes your behavior? What is it that motivates your living? What dominates your dreams? What controls your thinking? Because if it is not Jesus Christ, then something or somebody else most surely will be. For Jesus is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. He either has control of your heart, your emotions, your thoughts, your will, or something else or someone else does. And the reality is that today there are many treasures that are competing for our attention. And we can be so easily, so subtly, so unthinkingly seduced away from the Savior who should be our first love. And here I am addressing as Jesus was in the Sermon on the Mount. I am addressing those who are the followers of Jesus Christ, who's been born again by his Spirit. And we can so easily buy into the lies that are pumped out through advertising, we can so easily give in to the pressure of our peers. And instead of Jesus being our true north, something else directs and controls our affections. So, what can we do? How can we see through these things? How can we face the pressures of this world? How can we discern... The difference between worthless dross and genuine treasure. 
Well, Scripture makes three assertions about these things that should inform and guide our thinking. They can disappear, they can disappoint, and they can disable. And we're going to look at each in turn. So first of all, fake treasure can disappear. Fake treasure can disappear. Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Now, I want you to understand that Jesus was addressing a society where clothing was even more important then than it is today. You see, today there are lots of options for our clothing, lots of stores competing uh, for us. But in those days, it wasn't so easy, and your clothing represented your wealth and your standing in society. And often, gold thread would be worn into articles that were worn by the rich. You see, it, it was their way of carrying around their wealth and displaying their wealth in much the same way that some folk play, place great importance today upon the make and mark of their car. You know, how do you know where they stand? How do you know how rich they are? Have a look at the car they drive. They want you to know. You know, they've got the roller or the Bentley or the Mercedes or BMW Series 6. Now, I'm not trying to have a go at anyone. I hope I've not named a car that you have. I'm not getting at you. But you know what I mean. It's just a way of parading uh, what we have. And so for these folks, the destruction that was brought by moths and other insects was devastating upon the clothing that meant so much to so many. And for poorer folk, who in those days had maybe accumulated a few things of monetary value, and they stored them in their home, the fear of thieves literally breaking in, in other words, knocking a hole through the mud and wattle walls, and grabbing what they had stored in there was actually quite real. We, we protect our doors, we protect our windows. In those days, it was easier to go straight through the walls and steal the stuff. So their fears were quite genuine. Their fears were quite real about these things disappearing. And the point Jesus was making was the fact that those things that people treasure, those things they spend so much of their lives chasing, those things that consume their thoughts and their passion, they can disappear so easily, so unexpectedly. When Paul was writing to Timothy, it may well be that he had in mind Christ's words from the Sermon on the Mount that we've been looking at when he told Timothy this in 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, now get this, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. You see, you know it, but let me remind you of it. The things of this world are passing. The things that we're spending so much energy and focus upon, 
they will not last. Beauty passes. Even if cosmetic surgery and Botox injections can hold it back for a year or two, you know it won't last. Just have a look at the pictures of the celebs who've tried. Learning. Many of you here are students and you put so great store in learning. But learning fades as the memory goes and as the faculties decline. Oh yeah, you will peak at a certain point, but then after that, you, you know you're not going to have the recall and the capacity for the work that you once did. Businesses collapse often due to world markets beyond their control. You might be the greatest entrepreneur in Edinburgh, but there are certain situations where everything can go to the wall. Pensions lose their value or disappear as investments fail and as companies go bust. Loved ones who you've placed such great store by, loved ones die. Relationships can grow bitter. Floods can wash away your property. Acts of terror can bring down buildings. But for the believer who makes Christ their treasure, we read this in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 to 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance, here it is, that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. As Jim Elliot said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Let me give you that again. Jim Elliot, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. By the way, could I, I just take an aside here? Jim Elliot, uh, famous as uh, one of five missionaries who were uh, uh, massacred uh, in the middle of uh, last century. A new film has been made about uh, these five men and their attempts to uh, reach this particular uh, group of people. The film is called End of the Spear. We are going to be showing it here in this building on this screen on the 13th of November. Saturday, the 13th of November, 7 o'clock. There is no admission fee. Come and you may well even get popcorn and drinks and other things as you watch uh, the film with us. So please, the invitation is there. As part of our special mission weekend, this film is being shown. I don't think it's been shown here in Edinburgh before, so here's the opportunity to, to come and see this new film, an amazing film that's been made about the work of Jim Elliott and his colleagues. Saturday, 13th of November, 7 o'clock, no entry fee. Come and join us for that. So fake treasure can disappear. But then secondly, we need to notice that fake treasure can disappoint. Fake treasure can disappoint. The book of Ecclesiastes records a, a grand experiment that was conducted by King Solomon to see if he could find satisfaction in life without God. He concluded this, Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 8 to 11. He says this, I amassed 
silver and gold for myself, and the treasures of kings and provinces. I acquired men and women singers, and a harem as well, the delights of the heart of man. I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. In all this, my wisdom stayed with me. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took great delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet, when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I, I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. Under the sun is the writer's shorthand for life without God. And here is one of the great lessons of life. Nothing apart from Christ truly satisfies. You see, the things we pursue with all our passion can end up as empty and disappointing and deceptive. You see, it happens in the realm of pursuing wealth. The unhappiness levels and suicide rates are far higher among those who have amassed fortunes than those who haven't. You see, it's the bitterness of getting what you want and discovering it doesn't satisfy. Discovering that you've wasted your life. Disappointed that you've pursued an illusion, given your life to just climbing up, getting that money, getting that kudos, and then getting it. And it doesn't satisfy. G.K. Chesterton said this, to be clever enough to get a great deal of money, one must be stupid enough to want it. To be clever enough to get a great deal of money one must be stupid enough to want it. And could I suggest this happens in the realm of sex as well? The uh, pioneering and feminist and erotic author, Erica Young, confessed this. She said, our society has had a decade and a half of experimentation with random sexual freedom. We have discovered that it is neither so very sexy nor so very free. My generation is disillusioned with sex as a social panacea. We look longingly at the marriages of our parents and grandparents and wonder how on earth they managed to stay best friends for so long, or even worst friends for so long. But at least they had someone to read the newspaper with. Don't you just find that just overwhelmingly sad? It happens in the realm of sex, it happens in the realm of fame. Frank Sinatra's daughter, Tina Sinatra, recalled her father's unceasing drive to succeed and to make money, even when his health was at risk. She said this, and it's a fairly long quote, but stay, stay with me. She wrote this, his health was in tatters and his life mired in financial wrangles, but my father refused to stop giving concerts. I've just got to earn more money, he said. His performances, sad to say, were becoming more and more uneven. Uncertain of his memory, he became dependent on teleprompters. When I saw him at Desert Inn in Las Vegas, he struggled through the show and felt so sick at the end that he needed oxygen from a tank that he kept at hand. 
At another show, he forgot the lyrics to Second Time Around, a ballad he had sung a thousand times. His adoring audience finished it for him. I couldn't bear to see Dad struggle. I remember all the times he repeated the old boxing maxim, you've got to get out before you hit the mat. He wanted to retire at the top of his game, and I always thought he would know when his time came. But pushing 80, he lost track of when to quit. After seeing one too many of these fiascos, I told him, Pop, you can stop now. You don't have to stay on the road. With a stricken expression, he said, no, I've got to earn more money. I have to make sure everyone is taken care of. But since his death, there have been constant family wrangles over his fortune. And friends, haven't you found this in your own experience? Haven't you longed for particular things, particular events, only to find that their satisfaction is transitory? You know, you long for something. There, there was something you really wanted. You thought, if I get that, boy, that's going to be great. So satisfying. And so you saved it, saved up for it, and, and then you got it. But then so quickly, another dream comes in. Another kick is required because it didn't bring that all-encompassing satisfaction that you were looking for. The American divine, Timothy Dwight, put it like this. Men are merely taller children. Honor, wealth, and splendor are the toys for which grown children pine but which, however accumulated, leave them still disappointed and unhappy. God never designed that intelligent beings should be satisfied with these enjoyments. By his wisdom and goodness, people were formed to derive their happiness and virtue from him alone. Fake treasure, if you didn't know it already, but it can disappoint. Thirdly, Finally, fake treasure can disable. Fake treasure can disable. Now, we've had a look at Christ's instruction to his disciples about money. He told them that they had to prioritize. They had to make sure it was God that they were serving, not, not money. Because, as he told them, you can't have both as your masters. Either you'll find your treasure in God, or you will look for it in what the world has to offer. And most significantly, Jesus then goes on to make a connection with what would happen if you do make the world your treasure. Just have a look at the, the passage again that we read from earlier. Matthew 6, 24 to 25. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore... Do you notice the connecting word? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food, and the body more important than clothes? You see, in other words, if the world is your treasure, then you'll inevitably worry. You'll be consumed with anxiety. You'll be crippled by stress. But if Christ is your passion... If your hope and trust and faith are in him, then you can be delivered from those things. 
You see, if you want to chase after wealth, if you want to chase after all that it offers, if you want to chase after this world with its glittering prizes, then the Bible makes clear that you can expect, you cannot expect to be delivered from the fears and the anxieties that come with that pursuit. See, markets change. God doesn't. Profits fluctuate. God doesn't. Bosses change their minds. God doesn't. Thieves can steal, fire can destroy. God doesn't. It's only when you have made the sovereign God the center and the focus and the passion and the treasure of your life that you can be delivered from these enslaving pressures. Now look, although uh, this is an area that's still undergoing considerable research, the effect of stress upon the body is significant. Diseases whose development has been linked to both stress and inflammation include cardiovascular dysfunctions, diabetes, cancer, autoimmune syndromes, and mental illnesses such as depression and anxiety disorders. So stress can make you sick. And there are clear biochemical changes in the nervous and immune systems in response to chronic stress. In other words, as we go through energy-sapping, illness-inducing times of sorrow and anxiety and worry, the only way we can combat the fears and the lies that fill our minds is to get the big picture. It's to grasp the fact that God sovereignly and majestically reigns, that he is in control, that he is faithful and loving, that he is working out his purposes, that he knows what he's doing, that he's in control of every situation, that he is glorifying his name through saving men and women and taking them safe home to glory, that he is the treasure that our heart craves. And how do we get that true perspective? How can we see the whole picture? Well, it, it, it's through the Bible. It's through letting our thoughts be controlled and shaped by its ever-relevant truths. And as we grasp these things, as we make Christ our treasure and our passion, then sorrow and anxiety and worry and guilt are addressed we can have peace through knowing that our loving Heavenly Father is in charge. In other words, if you've come to know the living God in a personal way and you consciously seek Him with all your heart, then when you wake up in the morning, your heart can focus with wonder and delight at His amazing grace and at His unfailing mercies. Oh, we'll be real there might be a difficult job to do. There might be a difficult colleague to deal with. There might be a demanding workload building up, but the overriding knowledge of God's unfailing grace and provision provides a check and an antidote to those anxious thoughts that could so easily consume. George Muller, founder of the famous orphanages, said this, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. 
And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. And for us, one of the big problems we face is that you and I haven't seriously identified what is most important in our lives. Those who are Christians here will, in their best reflective moments, say that what is most important for them is spending time with Christ, reading his word, responding in prayer, meeting with fellow believers. But the trouble is, the importance of what they have identified is not reflected in the way that they organize their lives. They say they are too busy for a quiet time. The reality is they haven't made time for a quiet time. They say they are too busy for the prayer meeting or for the growth group. The reality is they haven't made time. It isn't their treasure. It isn't their passion. They're still shaped by the world's agendas. See, somehow in the busyness of life, we always find time to eat because we say it's important. Probably most of us here have had three meals of some shape, sort, variety today because it's important. It's what we do. We've set time aside. But we fail to find time to fellowship with God, which in our best moments we say is more vital. Oh, we'll watch at least an hour of TV, TV a day. We'll read that magazine or paper. We'll spend our time constantly surfing the net. We'll chat on the phone and we'll keep checking for texts. But we won't set aside deliberate time for what we declare is even more important than that. And this is the reality for so many. I, I came across this graph a couple of days ago showing the Bible reading habits of Christians in America. Only 32% read their Bible every day, which actually I think is actually a quite a high figure in all honesty. And I don't know where you would come into this category. My friends, an essential antidote to being too busy is working out what the priorities of your life are and deliberately organizing your time around those things. You need time seeking God. You need time to savor and to develop the good things that he's given you. You need time using your gifts for the glory of God and for the good of his people. So brothers and sisters, take control. Don't let Satan steal these things from you because there has been a treasure put in your eyes which has taken your attention, which has got your heart, which has reshaped your life. Don't be seduced by the false promises of false treasure. Matthew 6, 33 to 34. But seek first, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Let's pray.
Father, we just are so conscious that our hearts are amazingly deceptive and we have to confess that the uh, treasures of this world look so appealing and so attractive in so many ways. We realize that they play into our own upbringings and backgrounds and insecurities and rather than putting our hope wholly in you and shaping our life accordingly, we go running after these things, thinking that in them we will find the joy and satisfaction that will actually only come through you. So Father, please would you expose these things to our hearts. Enable us to know ourselves well. Father, I'm just so conscious that how easy it is, maybe even right now, for my brothers and sisters and me to just bring up excuses and to justify why we act in particular ways, rather than letting your word search and scour our lives. So have mercy upon us. For Father, we thank you that for our good, these things have been written. Father, may our treasure be in Jesus. May we go on discovering more and more the worth and the wonder of all that he is. And we ask it for his glory, and we ask it for our good in his name. Amen. Now next Sunday we're going to finish off this series. We've looked at fake treasure. Next we're going to be looking at what makes treasure treasure. Why is Jesus real treasure? So that's what we're going to be doing next Sunday.